Welcome to Humans of Tech, a media initiative from Gatlings Group, aiming to inspire more people to learn technology skills and start careers in the digital world. All right. Uh, Rich? Hello, John. Hey there. Welcome to our podcast. Terrific to be on board. <laughs> So, uh, so today um, I have an incredible individual in front of me. Uh, where are you calling from? I am in Bali, Indonesia, the island of the gods. Amazing. Um, and, and you have an incredible uh, history, uh, experiences and track records, which we're going to get to, to learn in a few seconds. Um, so, so, so yeah, let's, let's, let's get right into it and maybe start introducing yourself in a few sentences. So we can, uh, we can get the audience to know you. Yeah, terrific. Thanks. Yeah, my name's Rich Robinson. I grew up in Boston. I went to university in Los Angeles, University of Southern California. And my grandparents are from Ireland. So I had, you know, dual citizenship and close connections to Ireland and UK. So I studied um, in an exchange program with Cambridge University, 1988, traveled around Europe and fell in love with travel. And, um, I made the commitment that after I graduated, I was going to work my way around the world and try to do it by land as much as possible. So I graduated in 89, big pivotal year. Apartheid fell in South Africa, the wall fell in Berlin. China took a few steps backwards that year, but um, there were winds of change, positive winds of change. So I, uh, I hit the road and I was Uh, traveling for three and a half years. I was a bartender in the Virgin Islands, a ski bum in Switzerland, taught English in Prague after the Velvet Revolution, lived in a fishing village in Norway and picked grapes during the Vendage in, uh, near uh, Bordeaux and uh, worked at the BMW factory in Germany and another ski season in Switzerland. And then I went overland, the storied Trans-Siberian. I went by train and hitchhiking hitchhiked to Prague and then took a train, Ukraine, Moscow, Siberia, Mongolia, Beijing, Hong Kong, um, all the way um, 11 days on the train from west to east. And I had low expectations for China. I thought China would be interesting in sort of ancient history, you know, Tang Dynasty cultural context. But as soon as I got there to China, the the dragon just came down and <laughs> dug her talons into me. Ka-ka! Game of Thrones style. And um, yeah, then the dragon and I got married and then we're divorced <laughs> and we had two kids. But anyway, we're still friends. But uh, I, uh, I just, I could smell. You didn't have to be a visionary, but it was 1993 that I first went to China almost, you know, 28 years ago, almost 30 years ago. It was much closer to China of the cultural revolution from the 70s than it is today, for sure. But you could taste it in the back of your mouth that China was and is indeed the biggest story of our lives in terms of growth. You know, 70% of the people in poverty in China when I was in college, now it's 1%. I'm going to say that one more time. 70% of the biggest country in the world was in poverty. And now it's 1%. Like if that isn't miraculous, 
then I don't know what is. And the rise of GDP per capita has gone up 56 times and the rural to urban migration and the dynamism and the, so I just fell in love with China and I knew I traveled around the rest of Asia, um, but nothing grabbed me like China. Got my MBA in the Netherlands, Rotterdam School of Management at Erasmus. There I had a second epiphany, which was the interwebs. I surfed on the web in 94 and um, fell in love with the internet. So I thought China, internet, let's put that together. Chocolate, peanut butter, peanut butter, chocolate. What a delicious combination. China, uh-huh. internet, let's put that together. Uh, and uh, I had no money, no job, lots of student loans. So I graduated from my MBA program and I got a one-way ticket to uh, Africa and I rode a bicycle through Africa, 5,000 kilometers, four months, um, four bicycles, four courses of antibiotics. And I just wanted to embark on an adventure that would kind of kick my ass and um, and it did. And then I showed up in uh, China in 86 to be an internet guy in the middle kingdom and someone forgot to tell the internet to show up before I got there, there was more people online in Hong Kong with 6 million population than there were in all of the mainland. So uh, I wow. settled in the Hong Kong, I was there for four years and I was in Beijing for 20 years to the day. I moved here to Bali um, last month because I can, because it's the new normal, you can be anywhere. And over the last 24 years in China, I've been part of nine <clears throat> startups three as an executive in private companies that went public. Uh, I started six and I sold three, exited three. And I've been involved with probably 50 others in the war room, like uh, at the board level or, you know, um, investor. And then another uh, 400 or so as a mentor. I'm a mentor at the Schwartzman program at China Accelerator, 500 startups, Stanford Ignite, um, Accelerator. And uh, I teach. I, I love the dynamism of a classroom and just whip smart students. So I teach at the um, Peking University Guanghua MBA program, sort of the Harvard of China. I teach entrepreneurship in China. And then I also teach innovation for academics at Tsinghua, kind of the MIT of China. And then I teach spirit of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial agility at Alibaba University, Jack Ma's sort of baby. Uh, three kids, all made in China, lovely entrepreneurial wife. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be based in Bali and I'm writing my first book. It's called At the Speed of China, like at the speed of light. Roughly talking about that 40-year arc since opening and how it's all you know up and to the right. Um, all that rapid growth I talked about, lifting out of poverty and increasing GDP per capita. But more importantly these rapid innovation cycles that are happening now with companies like Meituan and TikTok, ByteDance and uh, mobile payments and electric mobility and medtech, fintech, edtech, smart retail, new retail, you name it. It's um, uh, unquestionably now a center of innovation in China. And my book is about what can be learned from that pace and pulse of change. Right, and we're going to talk about it. And that was a that was a fascinating introduction. Uh, I I will just keep 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 listening to this podcast if I was not the interviewer. <laughs> right. Don't shut this off. Do not hit pause. Do not 
I know some of you are on the toilet right now. Just keep going. It's okay. Some of you are working out. Just started. Get, get off the treadmill and just listen to this, right? And <laughs> no, then hit, hit, hit subscribe. Hit subscribe as well, too. <laughs> not for me. Thank I'm talking you. about for John. So. <laughs> no, seriously, that, that's not often that uh, we, we meet a character like you who've been literally across all continents uh, in, a, in less than 100 years. Um, so, so yeah, I think we, we all have a lot to learn from you and, uh, and, uh, you have a book that you're going to talk about more in a few que next questions as well, but let, let's start with, um, you know, the, the, the few, you know, teaser questions that we have, uh, for the podcast and, uh, and get to know you a little bit more personally. Tease me, tease me, tease away. So first, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna start with, uh, Android or iOS. And you answer quickly. I'm an Android guy because I don't want to be. I, I don't. I don't want to be inside the Steve Jobs, you know, uh, Panopticon where I have to do everything through. I can't sideload stuff, and it's just I. 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 I hate that paradigm. Some people feel freed by it, but I. You know, most of the phones in China are, are Android, and even a lot of. You know, I, I did something with um, Clubhouse. You know, Clubhouse's hot new app, and they made fun of me because I, I I had to join through Zoom because I have an I have an iPad and I couldn't. It was too old of an iPad for it to download Clubhouse. And they're like, "You're a tech guy and you're using Android." And it's uh -huh. like, yeah, a lot of guys in China are using Android and they use, you know, uh, PCs because they just don't want to be inside that whole, um, you know, servitude, and 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 limit. I, I think limitation of the of the uh, of the Mac ecosystem. All right, that's your that's your right. Um, and but, I'm, but, I'm, but, but, but I'm also fifty three years old, so I'm always <laughs> trying to like scrape the barnacles off myself and not be, you know, just like damn kids get off my lawn, right? Just like that's the way. But you know, I mean, I mean, I I used Max in the eighties, right? They were, you know, they were in, you know, it's when I was in college, right? So I mean, I mean, I, I've had Max and iPhones along the way, but after at a certain point, I'm just like no. Just like I, no, thank you. I have an iPad on the side. All right. Next question. Um, so Bitcoin or gold? Oh, no question. You got to get your get bag these days with the VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. You got to get your crypto on. How, how far are you going to get with that backpack full of gold right. when the zombie apocalypse happens? <laughs> that's, that's the thing that people don't really... <laughs> uh factor in is that whole sort of like well i need to be able to you know get on a, a plane to new zealand when everything comes crumbling down um so right yeah so so gold oh, oh. i'm talking yeah. <laughs> get, get your crypto on you get you get you gotta well you know what <laughs> it's nice to have it's nice to have some gold tucked away somewhere uh you, basically right. what you, you know, what you really want to do, like to be able to create wealth, you really have to, you know, I think focus and then right. to sort of maintain and grow wealth, you have to diversify. Um, last one uh, in the series, Gmail or Outlook? Oh, Gmail. I do. Yeah. Gmail. I think. Microsoft, uh, to its credit, has really gotten question. a lot better, but like 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a Gmail guy. Okay, so um, we talk, you were talking about your book. Um, so maybe what's the book you've read over and over again and that influenced you towards, uh, towards the technology industry and the internet? You were mentioning about that. So what's the book? I, I apologize, you're gonna have to edit this. I didn't, all I heard was book and then you broke up. Okay, uh, what, what's the book that influenced you um, to step into the technology industry? Being Digital by Nicholas Negroponte. It's an old, old school, it's probably the first. Um, so Nicholas Negroponte is the founder of the MIT Media Lab. I actually spoke at a conference with him in the uh, early zips. We had lunch together. I was a real fanboy. Um, he's, uh, he's a really, really um, towering, influential figure um, from 70s and 80s and 90s. All right. Very interesting. I will check this out. Next one. Um, what's your favorite, your role model, if you have one? Who is it? Mm. So, you know, I often talk about um, entrepreneur Pokemon. Like my kids love playing Pokemon and uh, they have the cards and each of them have their different superpowers. Um, and uh, I would say my, my three uh, Pokemon entrepreneur cards that I would want would be uh, Elon Musk, just because of you know the piece of uh, um, innovation and his um, just uh, insane vision. And I would say Jeff Bezos, because he is, uh, I've been to the headquarters of Amazon and it's called day one. And that's in his, you know, filing from the one IPO is like, we have to, as a core tenant of this company, always approach every day as if it's the first day of the company. So that means as soon as you go to day two, day three, day 4,000, then you become crusty and barnacled and you say, well, we've always done it this way, or we have these sunk costs. So that's one thing that I love about Bezos. And the other thing I love about him is his um, uh, ability to um, bets and think about how he turned a lot of his cost centers and a lot of his even disadvantages into advantages. AWS, you know, it was him. It was his team that saw that, you know, 94% of their capacity was, you know, or, or, you know, being used within that six week period around Christmas. So, you know, what are you, what are you going to do with all that server capacity the rest of the year? And it's, you know, let's, let's sell it. Uh, it wasn't, you know, Cisco or Google or Microsoft or some other player. It was, you know, Amazon that really pioneered that. And, you know, the number one uh, reluctance for people was delivery fees. So then they created prime, um, you know, they created the whole um, echo, you know, sort of voice from the failed fire phone. So he's another guy I really look up to. And then lastly, it's uh, Reed Hoffman, founder of uh, LinkedIn and, um, you know, partner um, at uh, Gray. And he's um, just this very thoughtful um, and very uh, also visionary, um, I think even public intellectual um, and who really, um, uh, you know, changed my life. Like, like LinkedIn has become such a core part of how I grow my business um, by 
doing raising money and doing partnerships and finding staff and you know that's just one of the things that he's contributed um so i think those those are my three silicon valley role models i certainly have others as well too it's it's good to have multiple abraham lincoln and ray dalio and you know few that's good few others um what's um what's your most memorable um career moment so far Hmm. Yeah, so I think uh you know the one thing that I've I've learned is that nobody nobody knows anything. They think they know what's gonna be a hit, what's gonna work. Um just like every play in American football is going to be a touchdown or this movie or this song or this TV show is going to be a hit. And people, people just don't, uh, people don't know. They think they know. Um, and so I think, you know, I had a few liquidity events, right? Either an IPO or selling the company. And that, and that feels like some sort of gigantic win or really wire in it. And now that I have more distance past that, Um, I realize that there are no silver bullets. There are no sort of like, you know, um, panacea, magic cure-alls. And sometimes I don't even know what success is, right? You might sell a company, but then the company gets shut down or you sell a company and then, you know, you don't make money, but the investors make money or you make money, but the investors don't make money. And it's just like, what's, what's the real sort of definition of success. And then also that success in startups is so improbable, so unlikely. The most likely outcome is failure and all encompassing magnificent failure. And even a lot of the liquidity events that you read about are an aqua hire or, you know, maybe, you know, the fact is that as a founder, your time is much better served if you really want to make money and be successful that way, you know, doing like not starting companies. Like there are people that make a lot of money when they start companies, but it's a very small, narrow amount of people. Um, and right. uh, the vast majority of the people just don't, right? So, so, so then why do it? So I think because of uh, the mission, because of the practice, because of the um, ability to be able to explore uh, and create new things and also improve yourself. I think that's, so I, I think much less now about some sort of, you know, incredible peak or some sort of milestone or achievement and much more about the same way we talked about before this podcast, no, writing my book, it's the process and the practice and just, you know, leaning into that and staying consistent and creating streaks many days in a row of just doing something that's uh, making you a better version of yourself. You know, I heard this one line from the Tim Ferriss podcast, the founder of um, Tobias, the founder of Sp uh, Shopify. And he said, uh, hell is this. Hell is you die. And then uh, there's this black curtain. And from behind the curtain steps you. But it's like the best version of yourself that could have been while you were alive. And you're like, oh, I could have, oh, and I should, oh, and I, oh, man, I, can I do a do-over? Can I try again? And, and you can't. 
Um, but I found that with the right kind of mindset that entrepreneurship is a terrific way to uh, be on a journey to find the best version of yourself. So I think if you really focus on the process and you focus on the journey and you focus on, you know, all right, this is what happened. Um, I cannot control what happens. I can only control my effort and my attitude. I can only control my action and my reaction. That's it. Like there's almost nothing in your control in life and especially as an entrepreneur. Um, and you, you, you can focus on your output, but not the outcome. So why don't you do everything in your power to have the best effort and attitude, the best action and reaction, the best ability to output with intention and then be able to respond with, um, you know, and, 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 you know, a, the, the, the proper response. So therefore I focus on sleep, diet, exercise, meditation, journaling, time with good people and, uh, you know, doing, doing things that are aligned with, you know, where I want to go and be, uh, and, uh, and just get up every day and, you know, get back in that arena. That's an amazing, I got a quote. I got a really good quote for out of this is, um, yeah, entrepreneurship is the journey and becoming the best version of yourself in life. Focus on the process that you can control your effort and your attitude. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's will resonate with a lot of people and, and not, not solely in entrepreneurship, I bet, uh, but, but entrepreneurship gives you more freedom to focus on what you want, right? Um, at the beginning. But all right, mm. that's, uh, that's a good one. Uh, we could talk a lot about this, uh, but let, let me stick to the question. So, um, maybe maybe uh, about about this year, right? Uh, because you said you mentioned uh, you were you moved to Bali last month. So, what's the best thing that happened to you this year? You mean it did twenty twenty? Twenty twenty. Yeah. Not being jet lagged. I think that's one of the, one of the many, there's a lot of good things. It's the first time in 29 years that I wasn't jet lagged. Um, and I think a lot of people are reassessing and re-exploring, like, do I need to be on the road so much? Do I really need to commute every day? Do I, you know, really need to live such a frantic life? Do I need all of these things? My wife came here last year to Bali to write a book and I visited about one year ago, January 15th, Chinese New Year, two-week kind of surprise visit, and then the world collapsed, and I couldn't get back to China. She couldn't get back. Our little girl couldn't get back, and my two teenage boys were stuck in China um, my, my, you know, with their mom from my first marriage, and I was separated from them for nine months. I had a tiny little carry-on luggage. I had no clothes with me. I had, you know... Uh, a, you know, a, a lot of uh, my businesses were based on face-to-face -face and everything collapsed and I still had a team and I still had office and I still had costs and uh, I had to reset what I was doing and do a lot of stuff through this little tiny pinhole and just talk to the rest of the world. And uh, it started to, started to work. And then I realized that the thing about COVID 
pandemic is that it's not a disruptor so much as it is an accelerant. Um, something that Prof G, Scott Galloway, talks about. It's 2030 now. We're a decade into the future. And of course, in 2030, you can work from anywhere. And it's changed, it's changed the world. Pinterest paid 90 million bucks to get out of their lease so they could go remote first. You know, Facebook and Google and Microsoft and even like old school companies like Mutual Liberty Insurance are letting people choose to just work remotely. So if you can work remotely, then I choose to work from the northeast suburbs of Beijing. No, I don't. No. I spent 20 years in Beijing and I love it and it's super dynamic, but it is not optimized for lifestyle. It is not a place that you go to for quality of life. You go there for opportunity and challenge and dynamism. So I'll be back in China at least once a quarter, maybe twice a quarter starting from next year. But for now, I am optimizing for lifestyle and yeah. investing in myself and my family and happiness and balance. And then I can bring my best self to my work. And uh, a lot of other people are doing the same. They're leaving Silicon Valley. They're going to the coast by a lake, by a mountain, back to their hometown and just, you know, taking a 10% haircut on pay, but getting, you know, you know, saving 25 to 60% on their life and increasing their lifestyle in the process. Yeah, the process. But yeah, I can, I can recount that as well. A lot of my friends uh, uh, are, are really living Silicon Valley. I was just calling my, my friend yesterday. I thought he was in SF and his, his video calling me is from Hawaii. And, ah, <laughs> and, and, and he's, nice he's told, he told me there's so many who've done that last year, which, um, which, is, which is paradise, right? Uh, also, yeah. I mean, Hawaii, Hawaii ain't cheap. It's probably more expensive than Silicon Valley in some ways, but uh, I'm going to ship everything to the island. But it's, you know, a nice soft landing um, as an American citizen. Yeah. Right? Let's be focused on yourself. So um, yeah, enough about me. Have... Let's talk about myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what about your skill set in tech? What, what do you think? Because I know you're not a tech tech guy. Uh, when you introduce yourself, but you are, you're an entrepreneur, you're a CEO, you're a tech entrepreneur in the internet. So what's your one tech skills that you know? Is that Python or is that digital marketing or what? Tell us one of them. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I'd like to say that I really do that I have tried to take some coding course or that I really do understand. Um, you know, I, 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 I think what my skill is now is synthesized knowledge, synthesized intelligence. So I'm such a curious guy. It's just the way I'm made up and I'm such a extroverted extrovert that I have a wide and deep network of people that I'm constantly adding to and refreshing and connecting. And uh, through that, I just know a lot of people that are in, in the industry. And it's a great way to learn is from books or from experience. I think, you know, an even better way is to learn from other people, to talk yeah. to people who are really, really in the arena, who are doing things and to exchange notes 
and to be able to um, constantly, you know, be curious and question things. And I think that's where, that's where, you know, I'm, I, I know, I, I understand enough to be able to, you know, sit in a tech, a tech meeting. Um, but like, you know, you might get a young tech, you know, like a, a female coder who's just kick ass and then you're, but she's 24 years old, right? And she's never really managed a project before, or she doesn't understand the, you know, what's going on with the strategy, right? Or you get like a, you know, uh, another um, older, you know, CTO who's, you know, wants to make sure that there's no drama and is a little more conservative and is looking to like, you know, maybe buy his way out of something through doing some kind of a partnership or, you know, outsourcing something. And, you know, I've maybe seen that, that movie happen before. Right. So I think it's, you know, the, the, the tech stuff doesn't exist sort of on its own. Right. It's not like there's just some sort of like amazing tech miracle. Right. It's a, it's a, a, a constant process of questioning and, always shipping new code, but that has to tie into, you know, what's happening with the marketing team, what's happening with the funding of the company and the state of the market. And, you know, so all, all, all of those things, I think that's where I'm just a, a keen, avid student and I'm able to pull all that together. And, you know, if you really want to, if you do want to get in, in, involved in tech, then yeah, I mean, sure. M maybe you should, take a coding course online, Udemy or something like that. But for the most part, you should just really be, you, you, sh you should focus on your strengths and, and I think have some kind of an unfair advantage. And your unfair advantage is not going to be coding. You just know enough about it. But if you're really good at all the other parts, maybe as a CEO, like a CEO of a startup, three jobs, um, get people on the bus, make sure the bus is going in the right direction, fill that bus up with gas, petrol, right? So recruit great people, make sure you have a really clear mission, vision, mission and vision, and make sure you always have money, either through, you know, sales and or uh, funding. Um, and then the fourth would be, you know, uh, the, the product side, which, you know, I think you really have to focus really inordinate amount of time on the product until you really get that product market fit. But, um, yeah, and you know, you get a tech co-founder and you focus on those things, right? Um, uh, I think that's where, um, I think it is important to have a tech co-founder, but you know, you're only going to be able to attract that person if they really feel like you are, you, you don't have to be like super experienced. You can be a first time person, of course, but you should be really um, you know, very, uh, you know, I, I think the whole follow your passion thing is kind of just bullshit anyway, but you can kind of like make your passion by getting good at something and you have to really just build up the skills and put in the hard yards and, you know, be a constant curious learner. Um, and the great thing is things are changing so much, but there's also this sort of like maybe 20, 25% base um, skills of entrepreneurship, ideation, you know, uh, team building, product development, marketing, fundraising, um, operations and scaling, uh, rinse, repeat. You can just, you know, constantly 
build up and refresh those skills, but then be a very avid student of whatever whatever market you're in, right? Crypto or something with you know community or something with um, SaaS or whatever, and just you know really be a a committed, um, just open-minded, uh, constant learner and and unlearn shit. Like that's what I'm really trying to do is unlearn stuff that does not serve me and try to be radically open-minded and just learn, learn new stuff. Right. So that's a, that's a good, good, good view. And, and thank you because it's true. Actually, not everyone needs to really have a coding skill to be part of the tech industry. And, and most of what we see really in the tech industry is, is, is what makes you buy the product. It's what makes you, see yeah. that the product is 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 used by millions of people that's the marketing it's not really the software engineering right that's that's the back end well it, so, it, all, it all comes together right it's all a dance like jack dorsey <laughs> made twitter and there was so much pull from the market people loved it right um and i met the founder of instagram kevin sistrom and he told me about how they were a completely different product instagram and then they coded filters to let people post, you know, beautiful photos. And then that broke everything. And, you know, then they were, you know, grew like crazy from there. Sometimes there is, you know, once in a while, there is that sort of like magic uh, lightning in a bottle with some sort of coding and you just get it right. Right. But it wasn't so much the coding. It's like they made something that people want. You got to, it's like, that's the one rule of startups. It's so simple. Make shit that people want. And sometimes when things are engineering centric or coding centric, people are like, this is cool. This is elegant. This is cutting edge. Who gives a shit? The people want it. That's, that's the yeah, only yeah. thing that matters, right? Uh, and sometimes, you know, you can scratch your own itch and like, you know, yeah, maybe I, I want this. Um, so there'll be other people that want it and then you can iterate from there. But yeah, I think having that, that user centric approach is super, super important. And sometimes, um, you know, if you're only focused on the tech side, you, you lose sight of that. Yeah. Those are very, very good advices for, for anyone who, who like to be a tech entrepreneur or join the tech industry. I think, I think it's a very inclusive message that you, you gave us here today and, uh, going that path a little bit, um, you gave an advice just now. Um, what would be the, the best advice that you ever received? Meditate. So ah. I was not ready for that message when I was in my twenties or thirties. Uh, but it's something that's really become part of my life since my mid forties. And I first did a, 10 day silent meditation retreat, Vipassana retreat, um, about eight years ago. Um, and it was cathartic and life changing, but about seven years ago, I started, uh, I got trained on transcendental meditation and here, here's the, here's the truth, you know, the stoic philosophy, which is a handbook of life. And I've said it already in this podcast, that it's like, Nothing is in your control. You only control your action and your reaction. That's it. Like your employees are not under your control. You don't control them. You can 
motivate them and incentivize them, right? You're, the market is definitely not in your control. The competitors are not in your control. The, you know, even deadlines and um, outcomes, pandemics, nothing's in your control. The only thing you control is your effort and your attitude, yourself. And therefore, what's the number one thing that you could do of all those things? Like sleep, of course, is a, a force multiplier. Um, I think it's something that people really need to invest in, but also, you know, taking care of the whole engine with nutrition and um, exercise and I think journaling and spending time with people. But meditation is something that gives uh, clarity and focus and mood regulation. And it is, you know, what you, 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 you as, a, as an entrepreneur, like I see people like I need to be more efficient with my time. I need to be like they're trying to sort of like optimize them themselves and their output. And what you really need to do is you need to be a decision-making machine. You need to make decisions. You need to be decisive and you need to see how that decision affects things. And then you can dial it back. And in my MBA class, I had the founder of Yoku. Yoku is the YouTube of China and the founder, Victor Ku, he sold the company for a few billion to Alibaba. And he graciously, you know, came and spoke to the class. You know, he's a billionaire with lots of pull on his time demands. And he told a story I'll never forget, which is, you know, when things became really competitive and challenging, and you know, to, before the you know, acquisition, before, you know, when he wasn't even sure if they were going to survive, he would sometimes stay up all night and try to make a decision. And then it would be a shitty decision and he would be wrecked. It would be like, he would be like, you know, 60% of his capacity for the rest of the day. And then somebody told him like, no, go to sleep. Think about it before you go to sleep, get at least seven, 7.5, try to get 8.5. Jeff Bezos says I get eight hours of sleep a night because it's good for my shareholders. So get, you know, 7.5 to 8.5, wake up, meditate, try to let all the dirt settle to the bottom of the water and then look and whatever you, you know, when you, what, what you see there, decide, make a decision, be decisive. And you're right. never going to have enough information. And he said that changed the trajectory of the company and his life um, because he was able to just be decisive and also not burn out and take care of himself and, you know, better quality decisions and, you know, a, a faster cycle of decision-making and that's the you know, pace of innovation. And that's also the core of my book is the speed of China. A lot of, a lot of it is just being decisive and, you know, blazing a path and going down there and then seeing what happens when you're there. So um, tm.org, transcendentalmeditation.org, I highly recommend it. I do 20 minutes when I wake up in the morning and then 20 minutes in the afternoon when I'm able to, and it uh, changed my life. Wow, that's uh, that's a very good circle back to um, to the importance of 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 technology these days, and and more and more meditation going to be done by those decision makers because they truly influence our life and how we see the world through technology these days. We recently seen the the the, the Facebook ban of Trump, which is a first in history, right? Uh, so so yeah, those Mark Zuckerberg. Gonna need meditation, and if you want to walk in tape, you definitely have a lot of 
uh, stakes in every decision you make. So, so meditation is a is is a good feedback and advice. Thank you, thank you, Rich. And you you you've been, you've done so much things. Uh, you you're a mentor for 500 startups. You're a mentor from China Accelerator. You're a teacher in Alibaba, Alibaba Business School. Well, a lot of people are gonna want to reach you. So so how can they connect, come in contact with you and and get your book? Yeah, the book's gonna come out this year. Um, you know, at Richard Robinson is my uh, Twitter Twitter handle. Um, and uh, yeah, please uh, post right. some stuff in the comments of this. And I'll, I'm happy to answer any further questions. That's awesome. Um, I don't want to, I want to be mindful of your time, uh, but you know, um, I think we're going to have a lot uh, to talk offline together. This is just the beginning of our journey uh, and, and, and I have a lot of, a lot, a lot of idea to, 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 to share with you actually. Um, so yeah, fascinating story. One of the rare uh, foreigner Americans uh, in living, you know, really in China and understanding deeply the technology world there, writing an amazing book on that and on the growth of, of this new economy, uh, which, uh, which everyone can, uh, can probably access to. Is that on Amazon? Very soon, right? The book. It'll be all platforms coming to bookstores near you, you know, nearby you soon. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, all right. Thank you so much, Rich, for for today's interview. Uh, and um, and yeah, I will be seeing awesome, you. Awesome, John. Well done. Good questions. Yeah. Talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks a lot, man. All the best. Au revoir. Bye bye.